0: Welcome to Trine Days, The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce DeTorris. With us is Joe Wallenstein, writer, producer, and director who has been involved with such films as The Godfather, The Paper Chase, A New Leaf, and American Hot Wax. At the University of California School of Cinematic Arts, Joe oversees more than 1,500 films made each year by more than 700 students. His new book is called Flynn and Miranda, Your Right to Remain Silent. A historical novel about the two men from opposite ends of the social spectrum who came together in a blazing moment of legal history that changed their lives and the lives of all Americans. Joe and Chris, it's great to be with you both. Nice thank you, Joe. You, for, yeah, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate this. You know, I was uh, uh, rather surprised, you know, to uh, hear from you about this book because mostly uh, we've been uh, known as, as the place that does suppressed works. It it was very interesting because just a little bit before that, uh, a local person who actually I met many years ago, she picked me up hitchhiking, and she was involved with the movie Animal House here and and other things, and she approached me about a book, and then all of a sudden I I got uh, contacted from uh, some other people down in L.A. They wanted to do a book, and because of them, you contacted me and other people, and I I think it's uh, very good. You know, I've had some very interesting experiences uh, with Hollywood. Put it this way, I've had a bunch of people trying to make movies out of some of my books, and they get stopped all the time. What, what's it like in Hollywood trying to make a movie?
1: Well, in the Hollywood that I come through, it's driven by, you have to have A-list actors, A-list director. It's, uh, the game is played at a very high level. Something we don't teach at USC, but we should, is the concept of other people's money, OPM, right? Money predominates. But the good news, and the good news and why the future is bright for you, Chris, is uh, content is king. It's not easy to get projects made because they cost so much, the stakes are so high, but uh, time and technology have and are changing. And projects get made now that in the 80s and 90s would never have seen the light of day.
0: Right, right. Every Every day it gets cheaper to make a movie and every day there's more places to place it. That's correct. You know,
1: That's well, correct.
0: I had a couple experiences. One was uh, this gentleman had produced a book in, in uh, Europe, a True Story of the Bilderberg Group. And it just it, it exploded, you know, it was selling millions of copies and so, uh, they got a, a good agent, and the agent, when he did the deal, he also uh, got a Hollywood movie, okay? And, and part of the deal for the Hollywood movie, they, they had to have an English uh, book. And so the author contacted me. We got an English book, and I was down there in uh, Beverly Hills at the Four Seasons, okay, with the two guys that owned uh, the Terminator franchise, oh, okay? Nice. So I was sitting there. Uh, with them at the uh, four seasons and definitely glad that I wasn't picking up the bill because uh, my salad was like thirty dollars, you know <laughs> And I told them, I says, you know, you might have some problems uh, politically with this you know, true story of the Bilderberg group. And they said, oh, won't make any difference. As soon as we, you know, get Terminator uh, four out, and we've got the money from the video game, we'll have enough money in our bucket, it won't make any difference, you know, and I say, okay. And it was very interesting. They got to Madrid, where the author of the true story, the Bilderberg was and they announced a $126 million blockbuster movie on the true story of the Bilderberg group. Well, within 30 days that company that signed that contract was bankrupt, you know, and the the, the the contract was void. And then I went went out on, you know, some blogs out there in Hollywood, and, and there was notes like, well, we really don't understand what happened. They still have their money. And then the other time, the, the guy who was the executive producer for 24, uh, called me up. And he said he had seen how quote-unquote, they were using 24 to propagandize the American people. And, and he, he started looking around for real books, and he found some of ours. And so I was going down to L.A., and, and, I mean, they were bringing in A-list directors, and, you know, we were sitting around this room on a table, and they brought in a bunch of different teams and everything, and we're, were working on it. And then all of a sudden, I mean... It just broke loose. He had people just would walk in the door of his place and say, you know, you can't make that movie. He started getting uh, computerized phone calls that we traced back to, uh, because he had caller ID and they, they traced back to back rooms of a Boston FBI. And then he got another one that traced back to the back rooms of a Seattle FBI office and he called me up and says well what's going on I says well that guy's probably right there in LA because the federal phone service is very easy to spoof and uh, then he calls me up another time and says you know uh, there's this uh, white SUV chasing me all around town and I I can't get rid of him and this guy was in a Ferrari and I said well but they kept going on another time he called me up and they had to uh, completely redo all their financial stuff and, and but they, they kept, uh, you know, uh, soldiering on. And then finally, he calls me up one time and says, you know, my wife, I said, I've got he says, I've got to go on a sabbatical. And I says, what's up. And He says, well, his wife got met on a street corner. And this guy told his wife, he says, you know, we're going to kill your husband if he doesn't stop what he's doing. And you, too. What are your children going to do? And then he called me back up in two weeks and says. Well, I guess we're just making Will Ferrell movies.
1: I I have no comment on that. I just know that Hollywood works in strange and mysterious ways. I mean, that's kind of dramatic. I've went to Europe and put together the money for a film, a great film, which is still available by the way, called The English Lady, uh, about a girl who was in line to be queen of England by marriage who Churchill approached uh, to become a spy for our country. And we put the money together in Europe. And we were over there and we were scouting and we went to England and France and uh, Austria and Germany and Hungary and And woke up one morning and the Germans' money decided, ah, we don't wanna do another Nazis are bad guy movies. And they pulled the money. And it was like pulling a, a thread on a sweater When the Germans went, the Italians went. When the Italians went, the French went. By the time we came home from the trip, all we had was the bill for the trip. (laughs) So, I mean, money is, uh, it's a good thing. And it's also corrosive. People fight and die over it. They lie about it. They use it for the various purposes. For me coming into the film business, I'm not that Machiavellian and I'm not that clever. I just want to make the movie. You know what I mean? Uh, but it makes me laugh that uh, you say you were lucky you didn't uh, pick up the tab at the uh, Four Seasons. I've been in those meetings where I did pick up the tab. And it's always two guys in the real estate business who are coming into town from me- Memphis in two weeks. I don't know what happens to these guys, but they never make it out of Memphis. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I-, I know the uh, pain of expectation. Let me put it that way the agony of expectation.
0: Well, you know, before we get into Flynn and Miranda, because I I do want to talk about that, but you are in an interesting position in that you're at USC and you're a teacher, a mentor to people learning about, you know, how the world works and everything. And so how is it with, you know, teaching these kids? And and are you hopeful about the future? What what does this
1: bring to you? observed three things at USC. They're very smart. They're very uh, talented. Some, not all, are very entitled. But what they all have is youthful enthusiasm. I once knew a guy who called up CBS. He had a, sh- a small studio in Houston. He's, he got the president on the phone. He said, I'm coming up to sell you two projects. He flew to LA, he met with the CBS and CBS bought both his projects. When I met him, I said, How how the heck can you do that? You can't do that. He goes, yeah. I didn't know I couldn't do that. (laughs) So what these kids have is uh, they don't know what they can't do. They think they could do everything. And some of them will. What's the most interesting project you've seen your your students do? Uh, Well, the one I liked the best recently was a thing called Wolves. It was a a senior class graduate project. And it's about uh, this uh, woman police officer. She drops her son off at school. She goes to work and they get a call that there's a jumper on the rooftop in Koreatown. And they go flying up there. And sure enough, she's got to try and talk the kid off the roof. And at some point, the kid says, I've been bullied and I don't want to live. And it's my life is miserable. And These kids make my life miserable. And he shows the police officer a video and his main tormentor is her son and she's shocked and she looks back and he jumps the kid jumps so she knows that her child is the cause of this other child's death and uh, at the end of the day she has to go pick her kid up from school she doesn't know what to do and what's what I thought was brilliant about the ending is it doesn't resolve easily. She doesn't forgive him. She doesn't hate him. You don't know. All you know is that her life will never be the same. Uh, that's the one that caught my attention. Now, here's a great exercise in never judging the book by its cover. There was a young guy when I some years ago. I'd see him coming down the hall in his tank top t-shirt and his dreadlocks, big African-American. And I used to think, and this is probably my bad, I used to think, he looks like a gangbanger. What is he doing here at USC? Well, in the classic, classic case of never judge the book by its cover, kid turned out to be wildly talented, sweet as sugar. And now the whole industry knows him as Ryan Kugler. And he's everything we wanted. He knows how to collaborate. He knows how to listen. He's inclusive. The kids want to work with him. They love him. So I've had my consciousness raised uh, at USC. We make a lot of films. A lot of them are just uh, narcissistic and, and exercises, you know, but so we've made some pretty good, films. And, and a lot of our films win awards. They go to festivals all over the world. They win DGA awards. So what's been good for me is being around young minds that don't know what they can't do.
0: <laughs> what, what What's coming down the pike? I mean, what what kind of new techniques or, or, you know, new new ways of storytelling? Or are there new ways of storytelling? I again?
1: think you will in the next couple of years. It's already started. I think there'll be more of it, of uh, crossover between story and games. Games will become movies and movies will become games, which has happened, but not just in sense of merchandising. I think it'll be more uh, symbiotic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would watch a movie, you know, you know, like a Star Wars movie or other things. And I'd, say, I'd see these scenes and I'd say, it looks to me like they're making these scenes for the video game and stuff like that. Well,
1: there was a spate of films in Hollywood. that If they can't merchandise it, they don't make the movie. But that's a difference. There's, there's several tiers of filmmaking in Hollywood. They're the big blockbusters, the big tent movies, the sequels, uh, and then there's the very uh, low budget that end up on the uh, cable. And it's, it sort of squeezed out the middle-class movie, the, the $30 to $60 million movie, the $20 to $60 million movie, which I would like to see come back because I think in that genre, it's more about story than stars and technology, which is where, to be honest with you guys, I hope where Flynn and Miranda will end up.
0: So how did you, uh, you know, come to write
1: the book, Flynn and Miranda? I got interested in the subject the night Miranda was killed. In those days, a very long time ago, I used to, I lived in Brooklyn, and I used to sit at my kitchen table with a yellow pad and a box of pencils, talk about <laughs> <the> old <whole> time. <laughs> and two o'clock one morning, I heard on the radio that Miranda had been killed. And when the police caught the suspects, they didn't have their Miranda cards, but they found one in his pocket, because he'd been selling them as souvenirs. And they read the suspects their rights in the name of the man they had just killed. And I remember thinking, you know, if a writer just conjured that up, you, you, your eyes would roll and you go, come on. But that's really what happened. So my I, eyes did roll when I first read it, yes. I... <laughs> yeah, I get asked, this, come on, Joe, that really happened. I was just, that's, what yeah. they, that's what it said on the radio. And that's what I was told by John Flynn. So yeah, I kind of believe it. And it, it just sparked my interest. And so I, uh, I set out to learn as much as I could. But uh, all I could, I could find in the libraries were facts about the case. Uh, Time went by and I realized that anybody could do that, but not everybody could find their way to John Flynn because in my knee, naivete, I thought it was easy. Well, it turned out not to be easy and it took me a long time. I go through the Phoenix, Arizona phone book and there is a law firm called Goldstein, Flynn and Mason. And I say, well, Flynn, okay, got a shot. So I pick up the phone and I call. The phone gets answered and a guy goes, Philip Goldstein, and I go, I'm trying to find John Flynn. He goes, oh, you're looking for John, hold on, John. And he puts John Flynn on the phone, it was that easy. So I said, Mr. Flynn, and I did my thing, tell him why I want, I said, would you meet with me? And he says, yeah, if you come down to Phoenix, I'll meet with you. So we went to Phoenix. And when I got there, we rented a car, we drove to what we thought was the correct address. So we go in, it's a Saturday morning. Go in, place is deserted. Two hallways, left and right. We go down the right hallway, there's one door open. I go in and there's a guy, big guy, silver hair, gray t-shirt with the Teamster logo, Marine Corps tattoo. I said, I I must have the wrong place. I'm looking for John Flynn. And he says, you found him. I couldn't believe it. So we go in, we started to talk and we recorded And I said to him, man, you must have been asked about this case a thousand times. He goes, oh, I was asked about this case a thousand times. He says, but Joe, you're the only guy ever came and asked me about the price I paid. And I thought, wow, there's my hook. It's about him. I always thought it was about Miranda. It's about him. Miranda was a criminal. The Miranda decision was not about guilt or innocence. It was about fairness. And Flynn was fighting for fairness. And he paid a lot of dues. I said... Two days after 9-11, and what can only be described as a surreal experience, I pitched it to Brad Pitt in the conference room of Brillstein Gray in a meeting set up by Sylvester Stallone. And in that meeting, Brad Pitt says, I love this. I want to do it. Because we, we pitched Flynn as this bigger than life, egotistical, tough guy, ex-Marine, fighting for justice, very a lot of colors because he was an imperfect guy. Brad Pitt says, I love it. I want to do it. But so we're downstairs getting our cars and uh, Stallone turns to me and he says, uh, well, there you go, kid. You got a movie. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> suddenly, you're a long way from making this movie. It's Hollywood. The herd moves on. It didn't sell in 15 minutes. It was They were on to the next thing. So, OK. And it was fun. It was fun to be in the game. And then I sat down and I wrote a script. And lo and behold, the script got optioned, not once, but twice. Didn't get made for one reason or another, some of the stuff you went through. Uh, and then um, I had a director fall in love with it and he suddenly passed away. And I thought, my gosh, is this never gonna happen? This is snake bit, this whole project is snake bit. But as I got older, I thought, when I'm no longer around, there ain't nobody gonna be able to tell this story. So I'm going to write it as a, as a novel, as a book. Well,
0: I really appreciate you doing that because I really enjoyed the book. Flynn is a historical character. He didn't really set out to be one. Correct. You know. Why do you think the story hasn't been told except by you?
1: Well, first of all, uh, he died right after I met with him. I met with him on Labor Day, 1979. He died January. I was supposed to go back and have another meeting with him. And as time went by, a lot of his contemporaries passed from the scene, and I was the only one who could tell that story and the only one who, I don't want to say wired to Hollywood, that's a little grandiose, I'm not that deeply embedded, but I had that sensibility, I thought it would make an incredible movie. You have these two very flawed guys from opposite, come from completely different worlds. And they changed the, you know, not by themselves, but they were part of, they lit the fuse that changed the legal system in this country. And I thought, how could nobody want to know that? Now, maybe I'm naive, right? Maybe nobody wants to know. They're more interested in dancing cats. Okay. But I think for people over 30, little dig at young people, they do want to know. And history does matter. This is the rare story that works for both sides of the political aisles. It's a conservative construct embraced by the liberals. Ain't many of those now. I mean, we seem so divided as a country. This is a story that comes out, started in a very conservative community, Phoenix, Arizona, 1962, has been upheld by all the conservative Supreme Court justices, Warren Berger, William Wren, Chris, John Roberts. I mean, they uh, chip away at Miranda, but it's never been under, overturned and it never will be. It made our system fairer. It changed the criminal uh, system in this country. People don't say, I confessed, but I was coerced. And they go, oh, oh, okay. Well, he had a gun, a knife, and a machete, but he he was coerced, he's gone out. Doesn't happen anymore. So how many times do you get a chance to tell a story about an anti-hero who did something really good for his country? And that's how I view Flynn.
0: What surprised you the most when you were researching the story? What, what amazed
1: you the most? Uh, I think it's understandable, but I think the police were so used to the way they operated that they couldn't see that Miranda was gonna help their conviction rate. Because if they couldn't rely on the confession, they would turn their attention to more scientific corroborative information, facts, forensics, voice pathology, DNA, and now when they go into, into court with a confession, it stands. So I thought, how many times, how many stories are there of this country really working collectively for the betterment of the whole country? Wow. And that's how I view this.
0: Wow. wow. Bruce, do you, do you have a, a, any questions for Joe? How long have you been at the, the university where you're in teaching film? Um, in my
1: uh, 18 years, I just started my 19th year i tell you a funny thing, though, Bruce, because you mentioned it before about American Hot Wax. American Hot Wax was a story about disc jockey Alan Freed and the payola scandals of the 50s. But this is Hollywood, right? So when they go to make the movie, they wanted, in order to be authentic, they have to shoot at the Brooklyn Paramount, which by that time no longer existed. We actually shot it in Hollywood at the Wiltern Theater. But a lot of people wanted the job. So, when they interviewed people of all the people working on the show, the producers, the directors, the actors, the grips, you name it, the drivers, there was only one person who had ever been in a rock and roll show in Brooklyn in 1952. And it was me. So, I got the job. <laughs> yeah. So, I got the job. I was the only one who actually been in a rock and roll show in those days. Nice,
0: nice, nice. It, it, it's interesting you bring up Alan, Alan Freed. I was just. Uh, watching a whole bunch of uh, movies with Alan Freed and the uh, rock and roll and you yeah. know the whole uh, d- Paola scandals. Well, yeah, the well not just a Paola scandal, but you know how rock and roll was going to die and you know yeah. be here for a little while and you right. know it, it, right. it kind of uh, stuck
1: around. He had a great line when he signed off that I still use to this day. He would say, "It's not goodbye, it's just good night." Yes, indeed. So. <laughs>
0: what do you see for the future? And, you know, because I mean, you're teaching these kids for the future of Hollywood. I mean, because we all like to teach our kids, right. You know, how to, how to be good, what, what to do and whatnot. But, you know, we all know that, I mean, the tube and the movies teach our kids way more than, than, than we do.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: I mean, I, I get frustrated because, you know, it, it seems that Hollywood only goes so far, you know I mean? And sometimes you, you see some real enlightenment, you might want to call it, some real cinematic what plays are about, you know, to, to bring people together, to, to make them think and, and, and all of that. But how many just, you know, cop shows, how many, you know? Yeah, I was
1: just going to say, Chris, like any artist, you, me, Bruce, any of the kids at school artists, you think it's about the ideas. We lose sight of the fact that it's a, a business. It's a business. And as HL Mink and once said, nobody ever went broke underestimating the taste of the American public. So they will, they will play to whatever is current, whatever is fashionable, whatever is the next trend. Once in a while, and there have been, I, don't, I can't quote them off the top of my head. There have been breakthrough projects, you know, that are different and uh, um, illuminating and inspiring. But I would say, nine-tenths of the way, it's a business. And what we do with our kids, we say at school, we do not censor. We want you to uh, enlarge the envelope, not do stuff that's dangerous, but expand the envelope. Anything, anything and I tried to do in the book, and I don't know if I did it well enough, I think. I hope I have. I tried to humanize both of them. Miranda's just a word to 99.9%. of. And his, his name is a verb. To Mirandize is a verb, you know. But who was he? Well, he was a troubled guy. I didn't like him. I didn't think he did good things, obviously. But he was a human being. And when Flynn said he didn't deserve to die like that, I kind of agree. He, he went to jail. He was guilty. Nobody said it, you know. And Flynn was, first of all, he was married five times. So clearly he was no saint. And... I don't know. I just thought (laughs) it relieves me, flawed old me, uh, out of the obligation to be perfect, you know, (laughs) Uh, uh, and and still uh, have some worth, you know. Uh, I think, and listen, in, in terms of the business model, every lead actor in Hollywood over 40 could play it, from Brad Pitt, to George Clooney, to Matt Damon, to Matthew McConaughey, to Vin, uh, v- Viggo Mortensen, and on and on and on. Uh, and if their agents and the companies think they can make $1 more than it will cost, then they might. But uh, the thing about the book is, I don't need anybody's permission.
0: You know, mm-hmm. you
1: know what I'm saying? When you go with those money guys, you're asking for their permission. Right. Even if you don't ask for it directly, that's what the, the effect is. What type of feedback have you gotten from the book? I haven't gotten a lot of feedback, but fortunately what I've got has been very positive. I really enjoy the
0: book. I think it's really, really good. Well, so you're very kind. Really
1: kind and and it means a lot to me, obviously, that a guy of your stature would uh, would deem it worthy. That means a lot to me. This is not the sexy expose story that you take to the beach and stick your toes in the sand and read it. And, No, this is about something. And you have to want to know about that something. And my thought was, because I have other books that I I haven't shown anybody yet. Those are fiction novels. And I thought, how do you sell Joe Wallenstein? What the hell is a Joe Wallenstein, right? So with Flynn and Miranda, the story is what is out there. Yeah, I I find it it, it takes time,
0: especially, you know, for my books, because, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a crazy guy and I, I talk about secret societies and you know, drugs and all that kind of silly stuff you, you, you have any, any, any last words any, any last words
1: we're doing stuff that's about something and americans need to uh, satisfy their curiosity and that's our future
0: amen thank you very much joe for coming You're Welcome,
1: on. guys thank and, you and onwards you. And i i i
0: wish for the best for Flyn and miranda because it, it's very it's a very nice read and you know I always enjoy learning things and I I, I learn things from your book, you know. I mean, I appreciate that. Something every day. Onwards.
1: Onward. Fight
0: on. Yeah.